0: Chapter twenty two of Agnes Grey by Anne Bronte. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Libby Gone The Visit Ashby Park was certainly a very delightful residence. The mansion was stately without, commodious and elegant within. The park was spacious and beautiful, chiefly on account of its magnificent old trees, its stately herds of deer, its broad sheet of water and the ancient woods that stretched beyond it for there was no broken ground to give variety to the landscape and but very little of that undulating swell which adds so greatly to the charm of park scenery and so this was the place that rosalie murray had so longed to call her own that she must have a share of it on whatever terms it might be offered whatever price was to be paid for the title of mistress and whoever was to be her partner in the honour and bliss of such a possession. Well, I am not disposed to censure her now. She received me very kindly, and though I was a poor clergyman's daughter, a governess, and a schoolmistress, she welcomed me with unaffected pleasure to her home, and what surprised me, rather, took some pains to make my visit agreeable. I could see, it is true, that she greatly expected me to be greatly struck with the magnificence that surrounded her, and, I confess, I was rather annoyed at her evident efforts to reassure me and prevent me from being overwhelmed by so much grandeur, too much awed at the idea of encountering her husband and mother-in-law, or too ashamed of my own humble appearance. For though plain, I had taken good care not to be shabby or mean and should have been pretty considerably at my ease if my condescending hostess had not taken such manifest pains to make me so and as for the magnificence that surrounded her nothing that met my eyes struck me or affected me half so much as her own altered appearance whether from the influence of fashionable dissipation or some other evil a space of time little more than twelve months had had the effect that might be expected from as many years in reducing the plumpness of her form, the freshness of her complexion, the vivacity of her movements, and the exuberance of her spirits. I wished to know if she was unhappy, but felt it was not my province to inquire. I might endeavour to win her confidence, but if she chose to conceal her matrimonial cares from me, I would trouble her with no obtrusive questions. I therefore at first confined myself to a few general inquiries about her health and welfare, and a few commendations on the beauty of the park and of the little girl that should have been a boy—a small, delicate infant of seven or eight weeks old, whom its mother seemed to regard with no remarkable degree of interest or affection, though full as much as I expected her to show shortly after my arrival she commissioned her maid to conduct me to my room and see that i had everything i wanted it was a small unpretending but sufficiently comfortable apartment when i descended thence having divested myself of all travelling encumbrances and arranged my toilet with due consideration for the feelings of my lady hostess she conducted me herself to the room i was to occupy when i chose to be alone Or when she was engaged with visitors, or obliged to be with her mother in law, or otherwise prevented, as she said, from enjoying the pleasure of my society. It was a quiet, tidy little sitting room, and I was not sorry to be provided with such a harbour of refuge. And some time, said she, I will show you the library. I have never examined the shelves, but I dare say it is full of wise books, and you may go and borrow among them whenever you please and now you shall have some tea. It will soon be dinner-time, but I thought as you are accustomed to dine at one you would perhaps like better to have a cup of tea about this time, and to dine when we lunch, and then you know you could have your tea in this room, and that would save you from having to dine with Lady Ashby and Sir Thomas, which would be rather awkward. At least not awkward, but rather, uh, you know what I mean. I thought you mightn't like it so well, "'especially as we may have other ladies and gentlemen "'to dine with us occasionally. "'Certainly,' said I, "'I would much rather have it as you say, "'and if you have no objection, "'I should prefer having all my meals in this room.' "'Why so?' "'Because, I imagine, it will be more agreeable "'to Lady Ashby and Sir Thomas. "'Nothing of the kind.' "'At any rate, it would be more agreeable to me.' she made some faint objections but soon conceded and i could see that the proposal was a considerable relief to her now come into the drawing-room said she there's the dressing-bell but i won't go yet it's no use dressing when there's no one to see you and i want to have a little discourse the drawing-room was certainly an imposing apartment and very elegantly furnished but i saw its young mistress glance towards me as we entered as if to notice how I was impressed by the spectacle, and accordingly I determined to preserve an aspect of stony indifference, as if I saw nothing at all remarkable. But this was only for a moment. Immediately conscience whispered, Why should I disappoint her to save my pride? No, rather let me sacrifice my pride to give her a little innocent gratification.' and I honestly looked round, and told her it was a noble room and very tastefully furnished. She said little, but I saw she was pleased. She showed me her fat French poodle that lay curled upon a silk cushion, and the two fine Italian paintings, which, however, she would not give me time to examine, but saying I must look at them some other day, insisted upon my admiring the little jewelled watch she had purchased in Geneva, And then she took me round the room to point out sundry articles of vertu she had bought from italy an elegant little timepiece and several busts small graceful figures and vases all beautifully carved in white marble she spoke of these with animation and heard my admiring comments with a smile of pleasure that soon however vanished and was followed by a melancholy sigh as if in consideration of the insufficiency of all such baubles to the happiest of the human heart and their woeful inability to supply its insatiate demands then stretching herself upon a couch she motioned me to a capacious easy-chair that stood opposite not before the fire but before a wide-open window for it was summer be remembered a sweet warm evening in the latter half of june i sat for a moment in silence enjoying the still pure air and the delightful prospect of the park that lay before me rich in verdure and foliage and basking in yellow sunshine relieved by the long shadows of declining day but i must take advantage of this pause i had inquiries to make and like the substance of a lady's postscript the most important must come last So I began with asking after Mr. and Mrs. Murray, and Miss Matilda, and the young gentleman. I was told that papa had the gout which made him very ferocious, and that he would not give up his choice wines and his substantial dinners and suppers, and had quarrelled with his physician, because the latter had dared to say that no medicine could cure him while he lived so freely, that mamma and the rest were well matilda was still wild and reckless but she had gotten a fashionable governess and was considerably improved in her manners and soon to be introduced to the world and john and charles now at home for the holidays were by all accounts fine bold unruly mischievous boys and how are the other people getting on said i the greens for instance ah mr green is heartbroken, you know replied she with a languid smile he hasn't gotten over his disappointment yet and never will i suppose he's doomed to be an old bachelor and his sisters are doing their best to get married and the meltems oh they're jogging on as usual i suppose but i know very little about any of them except harry she said blushing slightly and smiling again i saw a great deal of him while we were in london for as soon as he heard we were there he came up under pretence of visiting his brother and either followed me like a shadow wherever I went, or met me like the reflection at every turn. You needn't look so shocked, Miss Gray. I was very discreet, I assure you. But you know one can't help being admired. Poor fellow! He was not my only worshipper, though he was certainly the most conspicuous, and I think the most devoted among them. And that detestable— And Sir Thomas chose to take offence at him— or my profuse expenditure or something i don't exactly know what and hurried me down to the country at a moment's notice where i'm to play the hermit i suppose for life and she bit her lip and frowned vindictively upon the fair domain she had once so coveted to call her own and mr hatfield i said what has become of him again she brightened up and answered gaily "Oh." He made up to an elderly spinster, and married her not long since, weighing her heavy purse against her faded charms, and expecting to find that solace in gold which was denied him in love. <laughs> well, and I think that's all. Except Mr. Weston. What is he doing? I don't know, I'm sure. He's gone from Horton. How long since? And where has he gone to? I know nothing about him, replied she, yawning except that he went about a month ago. I never asked where. I would have asked whether it was to a living or merely another curacy, but thought it better not. And the people made a great rout about his leaving,' continued she. Much to Mr. Hatfield's displeasure, for Hatfield didn't like him, because he had too much influence with the common people, and because he was not sufficiently tractable and submissive to him, and for some other unpardonable sins, I don't know what.' but now I positively must go and dress. The second bell will ring directly, and if I come to dinner in this guise I shall never hear the end of it from Lady Ashby. It's a strange thing one can't be mistress in one's own house. Just ring the bell and I'll send for my maid, and tell them to get you some tea. Only think of that intolerable woman. Who, your maid? No, my mother-in-law, and my unfortunate mistake.' instead of letting her take herself off to some other house as she offered to do when i married i was fool enough to ask her to live here still and direct the affairs of the house for me because in the first place i hoped we should spend the greater part of the year in town and in the second place being so young and inexperienced i was frightened at the idea of having a household of servants to manage and dinners to order and parties to entertain and all the rest of it and i thought she might assist me with her experience never dreaming she would prove a usurper a tyrant an incubus a spy and everything else that's detestable i wish she was dead she then turned to give her orders to the footman who had been standing bolt upright within the door for the last half minute and had heard the latter part of her animadversions and of course made his own reflections upon them notwithstanding the inflexible wooden countenance he thought proper to preserve in the drawing-room. On my remarking afterwards that he must have heard her, she replied, "'Oh, no matter. I never care about the footmen. They're mere automatons. It's nothing to them what their superiors say or do. They won't dare to repeat it. And what they do think, if they presume to think at all, of course nobody cares for that. It would be a pretty thing indeed if we were to be tongue-tied by our servants.' So saying, she ran off to make her hasty toilette, leaving me to pilot my way back to my sitting-room, where in due time I was served with a cup of tea. After that I sat musing on Lady Ashby's past and present condition, and on what little information I had obtained respecting Mr. Weston, and the small chance there was of ever seeing or hearing anything more of him throughout my quiet, drab-colour life. Which henceforth seemed to offer no alternative between positive rainy days and days of dull grey clouds without downfall. At length, however, I began to weary of my thoughts, and to wish I knew where to find the library my hostess had spoken of, to wonder whether I was to remain there doing nothing till bedtime. As I was not rich enough to possess a watch, I could not tell how much time was passing, except by observing the slowly lengthening shadows from the window, which presented a side view, including a corner of the park, a clump of trees whose topmost branches had been colonized by an innumerable company of noisy rooks, and a high wall with a massive wooden gate, as a broad carriage-road swept up to it from the park the shadow of this wall soon took possession of the whole of the ground as far as i could see forcing the golden sunlight to retreat inch by inch and at last take refuge in the tops of the trees ere long even they were left in shadow the shadow of the distant hills or of the earth itself and in sympathy for the busy citizens of the rookery i regretted to see their habitation so lately bathed in glorious light reduced to the sombre, workaday hue of the lower world, or of my own world within. For a moment such birds as soared above the rest might still receive the luster on their wings, which imparted to their sable plumage the hue and brilliance of deep red gold. At last that too departed. Twilight came stealing on. The rooks became more quiet. I became more weary, and wished I were going home to-morrow at length it grew dark and i was thinking of ringing for a candle and betaking myself to bed when my hostess appeared with many apologies for having neglected me so long and laying all the blame upon that nasty old woman as she called her mother-in-law if i didn't sit with her in the drawing-room while sir thomas is taking his wine said she she would never forgive me and then if i leave the room the instant he comes as i have done once or twice it is an unpardonable offence against her dear thomas she never showed such disrespect towards her husband As for affection wives never think of that nowadays she supposes but things were different in her time as if there were any good to be done by staying in the room when he does nothing but grumble and scold when he's in a bad humour talk disgusting nonsense when he's in a good one and go to sleep on the sofa when he's too stupid for either which is most frequently the case now when he has nothing to do but sot over his wine but could you not try to occupy his mind with something better and engage him to give up such habits I'm sure you have the powers of persuasion, and qualifications for amusing gentlemen which so many ladies would be glad to possess. And do you think I would lay myself out for his amusement? No, that's not my idea of a wife. It's the husband's part to please the wife, not hers to please him. And if he isn't satisfied with her as she is, and thankful to possess her too, he isn't worthy of her, that's all.' "'As for persuasion, I assure you I shan't trouble myself with that. "'I've enough to do to bear with him as it is without attempting to work a reform. "'But I'm sorry I left you so long, Miss Gray. "'How have you passed the time?' "'Chiefly in watching the rooks. "'Mercy, how dull you must have been! "'I really must show you the library, and you must ring for everything you want, "'just as you would at an inn, and make yourself comfortable. "'I have selfish reasons for wishing to make you happy. Because I want you to stay with me and not fulfil your horrid threat of running away in a day or two, well, don't let me keep you out of the drawing-room any longer for to-night for at present, I'm tired and wish to go to bed End of chapter twenty two